You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. The leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. Today, I want to do some myth busting. So many people come to me to help them grow and even excel in one particular area. And when I tell them the secret, the one fundamental principle that is the trigger to go from good or frankly, even mediocre to great, almost every person stops in their tracks and says some version of, wait, really? Really? But I can't do that. <sighs> yes, you can. And if you want to master the art and science of the three C's, that ability to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, you can, you will, and you must. So what's their goal? And what's this mythical head trash that keeps them from achieving it? The goal, very specifically, is simply to strengthen their executive presence, in particular, often in the area of public speaking. And that can be whether it's a regular meeting each week, a specific presentation, uh, whether it is on Zoom or some other virtual platform or in a conference room on a meaning at a conference, on a big stage. Ultimately, the key is how to be more interesting, more engaging, more captivating to an audience. On the flip side, how to, at the very least, be less dull, less boring, less flat, like Ben Stein in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and just droning on through all of your points. Maybe you're talking faster because you need to get through stuff, but it's still with about the same level of enthusiasm. You get the point. But what's the key? Very simply, it is that really energy variation is at the heart of all of it, much like dynamics in music. And there's a number of types of energy, and I, I won't get into all of that today, but what stops people in their tracks is specifically the need to incorporate some fun energy, some playfulness, or some humor, just in bits and pieces, here and there, as necessary. So here's something of an ironic statement for you, perhaps. I'm serious. You need to have more fun. I'll say that again. I'm totally serious. You must have more fun if you want to captivate your audience. And here's the myth that I want to bust. The most common objection that tends to get raised, particularly but far from exclusively by women and younger leaders, is the fear that if you use fun energy, if you use humor, that it will somehow undermine your authority, your executive presence, or the word that everybody loves to banter about, gravitas. Fun and gravitas don't mix. That's the myth. That's the fear. That's the assumption. But what people don't seem to realize is that well-timed, well-placed, 
and contextually appropriate humor and uh, fun energy overall can actually enhance your leadership presence, your executive presence, your command presence, whichever synonym you like to use. Well-timed, well-placed, and contextually appropriate fun humor energy can enhance your presence. Okay, how does that work? There's a couple of key elements. First, think about it this way. Who were your favorite teachers back in high school? or college, or wherever it was, chances are they weren't just the ones who were subject matter experts. They were the ones who made learning fun, weren't they? And they usually seemed like they were actually having fun teaching you, which was the first step to making it fun for you. They were the ones who found a way to make you want to listen more. The ones who you just couldn't help but pay attention to. It's an undisputed fact that when somebody enjoys learning, no matter what their age, frankly, they're simply going to learn and retain more. Now, this may raise a question in your mind. Laura, I mean, my job isn't to entertain people. I'm not paid to entertain. I'm, I'm paid to share information, to do analyses, to make recommendations, to assess risk, to avoid any other pitfalls or landmines, et cetera. And when you're mixing the fun with the serious, it sounds like what we used to refer to as things like edutainment or infotainment. In other words, content light, with the air quotes around it, content light. I can't afford to do that. Au contraire, my friends, because beyond the basic intuition, adolescent memories of school, the science behind it is also there. When you can make somebody laugh, whether it's a belly laugh or just a chuckle, or frankly, even smile, it triggers a little dopamine hit in the brain. And dopamine opens listening. Dopamine is one of those happy hormones that is addictive. And when you get a hit of dopamine, the brain's natural reflex is to say, hey, that felt good. Can I have some more? And then to focus attention on the person or the thing, the source of where you got that first little dopamine hit. They're looking for more. It's a Pavlovian-style reflex response. Plus, what's interesting is that it also makes people like you more because the brain is getting wired to associate you with something that makes them feel good. It's a literal neuroassociation that you're making. Now, before you think that I'm taking this too far, I am not advocating for you to turn your board meeting into amateur night at the improv. There may be only one entire fun comment that you make through the whole meeting that gets the little chuckle out of the group. But humor is a powerfully unifying force because it relies upon a shared understanding or, or shared context about what makes something funny in the first place. It's one of the reasons why no matter how fluent you might be in a second or even third or fourth foreign language, I don't know about you, I've studied a whole bunch of different languages to varying degrees of competency or nowadays rusty incompetence, arguably, but that's neither here nor there. But no matter how fluent you are in another language, comedy is 
almost always one of the hardest things to follow in that language. And it's because you don't know what the cultural references are that the comedian is talking about, even if you do understand the sentence vocabulary and the grammar at its face value. But when you have the ability to make a comment that everyone appreciates because everyone gets it, it establishes a sense of mutual understanding and appreciation. Remember those three C's. You want to be able to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, right? Well, if you can make people laugh, you instantly have command of the room, just like that. And it's because of the fact that you have created, you've established that shared connection with the audience. You've connected with them. And that certainly gets you a whole lot closer to closing the deal, which doesn't necessarily mean selling something. It means coming to a shared mutual agreement or decision about next steps, how to move the needle forward. I mean, in every training that I do and virtually every conversation that I have with coaching clients, I do my best to inject a little bit of humor. It doesn't matter whether I'm talking about virtual influence and how to engage an audience here in the virtual space with or without video capabilities here in podcast land. Most of you are listening to this in audio formats only, right? Or whether I'm teaching a class at a university or leading a training on public speaking for a group of CFOs, maybe IT leaders, employee resource groups, or maybe on stage in front of thousands of people. One way or another, I've learned what some of the most common points of reference are that will make most people, if not everybody, laugh. And in trainings, when we get to the point in a program, and most of my programs do have this point somewhere in them, where we explicitly address my use of humor in training and how it's used as a tool and how I'm modeling it and where they have experienced in previous moments without really consciously analyzing it through the course of that program, we talk about and analyze the role of humor in that experience, in my training that they're experiencing right then and there as it relates to executive presence and gravitas. And I ask the people, whether they're in the class or the audience, if they feel like the humor that I've been using throughout the course of the day has enhanced or detracted from their learning experience. Has it increased or decreased the value that they're getting from the program as an investment of their time and their money? And what about their perception of me, their respect for me and my expertise? Does my use of humor, does it undermine my reputation, my image as an expert or my authority on the subject? I can tell you, honestly, the response is unanimous. They inevitably say, the whole group, that my use of humor enhances their experience. They feel like it makes the content come to life. They do not feel like I'm undermining my own authority. Now, I mean, look, sure, you could argue that, oh, they're just being polite, Laura. They don't, they don't want to insult you or offend you. But a follow-up question that I ask is, because usually when I'm addressing this topic, it's you know, somewhere in the middle of the program, I don't have to continue this way if they'd prefer I could just finish the rest of the training, straight up lecturing, no humor, just keep it serious because people tend to use the word gravitas as kind of synonymous with serious. So would you prefer, I will ask them, would you prefer I just keep the rest of the program straight, no humor and just lecturing, et cetera, 
just the facts and only the facts. I will tell you every single time there is a resounding and vociferous no. Sometimes people will say a little bit more of it would be great. So there was once I was lecturing at an EMBA program and in this particular semester long course that I was one of the guest speakers and each week there was another guest speaker from various industries. And at the end of the day, one student turned to the professor and said, can she come back and do all the rest of the speaker slots this semester? Okay. Another time with one client team that I was working with that was in the financial investment space, which arguably is a very serious industry. We were debriefing at the end of a day-long workshop, and one of the guys said to me, Laura, have you ever seen the show The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon? You kind of remind me of her. You have a Maisel-like quality to you. Now, okay, if you haven't seen the show, it's a fabulous comedy, which I won't bother describing now, but suffice it to say that the main character, Mrs. Maisel, played brilliantly by Rachel Brosnahan, is an extremely sharp, up-and-coming wannabe comedian. So I said to him, you know, I have seen the show and uh, I'm going to take that as a compliment. And he nodded very seriously, as a matter of fact, and just said, you should. So out of curiosity, I pulled the rest of the group to see, A, how many had seen the show. And by show of hands, it was clear that most of them had. So I asked, did you feel like my use of humor throughout our program today strengthened or weakened the value you got from the experience? Again, unanimous, strengthened. I followed up. In any way, did it undermine my gravitas or my authority as an expert in my field, in your view? Is there any doubt in your mind that I take my content extremely seriously? Again, everybody's head shook. Not at all. Of course not. I know full well that their time and resources are way too valuable and scarce to waste it, to disrespect them, their subjects, their needs, their clients, and myself for that matter, with quote-unquote, content light, especially, frankly, if I want them to hire me again or to refer to me to other people for more professional work. Now, okay, here's how to leverage that fun energy so it does not undermine gravitas or executive presence, because it could if it's not used right. So how do you turn it into the perfect mix of executive presence-enhancing infotainment? First, you have to own it. If you're going to add a bit of fun, you have to do it deliberately and confidently. Confidence is its own form and flavor of gravitas, frankly. And if you have confidence, if you exude confidence as you're talking, that will inspire confidence in other people's minds, meaning that they will have more confidence in you when you exude confidence. Not arrogance, but confidence in yourself and in what you're sharing. You cannot do it sheepishly or hesitantly. Look, don't take the leap if you can't stick the landing, okay? Second, remember what I said at the beginning was the key to captivating an audience? Energy variation. Just by way of analogy, think of songs like Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. It's a six-minute song. That's about twice as long as most other songs today, whether it's pop, country, hip-hop, whatever. Or Paradise by the Dashboard Lights by Meatloaf. And all of a sudden I'm into 70s, late 70s music, I guess. Um, but Paradise by the Dashboard Lights, that was eight and a half minutes long. That's three times the length of most songs today. Now, you and I, at least I, I'll speak for myself, but I would imagine that you would join me in this. 
we would never listen to a song of that length if it was the same thing over and over again, just loud and fast from start to finish with no dynamic variation whatsoever. But each of those songs had multiple plot segments, almost movements, if you will, with completely different sounds. They went from melancholy on one end to playful to downright headbanging. And you know, if you've ever heard Bohemian Rhapsody, you have headbanged in the middle, especially when you're driving the car. That's just what you have to do. But similarly, you can't stay in that fun energy the whole time. It would lose its power. It's all about identifying the right balance between the info and the attainment in order to enhance both the informational value and the entertainment value of the experience. And I mean, let's be real. Most meetings or presentations that you give professionally will be about serious topics, whether it's goals, impending changes, layoffs, mergers, budgets, onboarding or client acquisition. They're all important and they deserve the respect of being addressed primarily with heavier gravitas. The question then becomes where, when, how much, and what kind of fun energy to sprinkle into the conversation. Actually, let's think about the word sprinkle for a minute. Unless you're my six-year-old son, who, if left to his own devices, would have probably a 50-50 balance of sprinkles to cupcake, you realize that the cupcake is the main event. And even if sprinkles are a must-have for you, they are a detail. They're an enhancement, a decoration, an accessory, just a little fun. But most of the contents of the plate still needs to be cupcake. The content of the plate is the content. So if we stick with the cupcake analogy, when you're baking a cupcake, of course, before you get to the sprinkles point, you need both sugar and salt. The proportion might be a hundred to one, a cup of sugar for a half a teaspoon of salt. But if you don't have any salt, the cake will be sweet, but frankly, it's kind of flat. You need the pinch of salt, just that little pinch, to give it the depth of flavor, to balance it or round it out. On the flip side, of course, too much salt and the cake very quickly becomes inedible. Let's use another example with what you might consider the opposite extreme of the sugar to salt ratio. Here's a pop quiz for you. In 2009, do you remember what movie won the best motion picture Oscar? I feel like I should be playing Jeopardy music in the background while you think about it. We'll cut to the chase. It was Slumdog Millionaire. If you haven't seen it, another one, absolute must see, incredible. It was the story of how an incredibly endearing and precocious Indian boy living in Mumbai ended up on the Indian version of this show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? It traces his life from when he was around, I don't know, probably six or seven years old until 10 years later at 18 when he finds himself on this show. The story is one of, over the course of those two hours or so, unspeakable hardship on so many levels. But here's the thing. It would start taking you down a plot line that was utterly gut-wrenching, frankly. And then just when I thought I couldn't watch any more, something unexpected would happen that would make me burst out laughing. And that was just enough to make me sit there for another 15 minutes and ride the wave again. And let's be clear, there was no question in my mind or anybody else's that the intermittent humor 
in any way, shape, or form was minimizing, mocking, or in any way undermining or disrespecting the reality of the social issues it addressed like abject poverty and child abuse. If anything, the power was magnified by the contrast, how hard I wanted to cry at some points, and then how hard it made me laugh just moments later. They sprinkled in just enough sugar, and the result was genius. As far as I'm concerned, it deserved all 50-something major motion picture awards that it received around the world that year. Okay, so what's my point in sharing this with you? It's all about identifying the right balance of information and entertainment in order to enhance both the informational value and the entertainment or pleasure value of the experience. Both enhance your image and reputation. Using just the right type and amount of fun energy and humor at the right time will elevate your status in the eyes, minds, and hearts of all who listen. And whether or not they tell you outright, I bet they'll also thank you for it. And with that, I thank you for listening and tuning in as always. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't done so yet so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.